Hello and welcome. This is the first in a series of interviews where I'll be talking to a range of different founders and business owners about their journeys. We'll cover the highs, the lows, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Since co-founding my own startup seven years ago, tech-driven peer-to-peer gambling business, I've been navigating the startup and investor world. In recent years, I've focused on helping startups with fundraising, but that often involves advice on wider strategy, growth, sales, marketing, and everything in between. Along the way, I've met some incredible and unique individuals, and they all say the same thing. Building businesses is hard. Getting economic return from any creative endeavor is one of the most difficult paths to choose in adulthood. It's tiring, grueling, and it carries a very, very low chance of success. When we do usually hear from startups, it's often after they've already found success. We only ever see the final polished version with the carefully constructed backstory of how they made it. This series focuses on businesses in their earliest and most turbulent stages and aims to showcase the difficulties that entrepreneurs face and how they overcome them. I strongly believe there is incredible value in hearing the trials and tribulations of businesses as they grow, and hopefully this will shine a useful light on how businesses go from zero to one. The people I interview are from a diverse range of backgrounds operating in a wide array of different industries. We cover a breadth of topics, including how you go from idea to launch, how to make your very first sale, marketing, PR, and much, much more. I'm really, really excited because coming up over the next few weeks, we have interviews with some amazing businesses. We've got Bloody Drinks, a canned Bloody Mary company. We've got Frollo, a single parenting community turned dating app. We've got OneZone, a search and discovery social platform for restaurants and bars. Remote Coach, a personal training platform that enables trainers to coach their clients, not just remotely, but using vast amounts of data and AI. And in this pod, I talk to Justin and Ollie from Dapper, a plant-based ice cream starter. Dapper is an incredible business, operating in an industry that is growing rapidly. The vegan market in the UK alone is valued at around 740 million. Within only a couple of years, they've grown from a pop-up in Shoreditch to being in multiple restaurants and venues around the UK. They are one of the true success stories of COVID-19, something we discuss with regards to speeding up their plans and adding a B2B revenue stream to complement their direct-to-consumer business. I met Ollie, the guy you hear me talking to first, back in 2015 via the private equity industry. He was a high-flying financier who ultimately decided he wanted to leave what is one of the most sought-after careers in the professional world to launch an ice cream company. He did this alongside Justin, who had already had an ice cream endeavor on his CV. He was looking for the perfect partner to launch his next. We get into the basics of production of plant-based ice cream, the process of which changes for Dapper as they have grown, and how you then turn that into a business. We also explore marketing, revenue models, logistics, and the vegan market as a whole. They're a hugely energetic pair, and the story is a fantastic one. Now, this is literally my first rodeo, and whilst I have kitted myself out with the best microphone Google can suggest, the audio isn't quite perfect. Please bear with me on this. We begin with myself and Ollie discussing my lockdown fitness failures, and then we get into it. Here they are. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. How are we? Very good. You alright? Yeah, not bad. I'm just gonna screen this bad boy. Da, da, da. Oh. You at home? 
Yeah, just um, in the newly set up, it's taken me a year to do it, um, office. So as you can see, we've even got some uh, fitness equipment in here. Casual. Nice. You got one of those things, one of them. I know, you know what? I was, um, well, they, the, the ski masters or whatever they're called. Yeah. I was, I was tempted by those because they really do give you the full workout, but I fucking hate them. So I would, I would just never use it. They're utterly miserable. They are people. horrible. Isn't they it? are yeah. horrible. But they're mean, the ones, all the elite, badass people cross it. embrace it. I can remember when we were going mad trying to get 5K times down to 20 minutes. I go back and do like yeah. a, do a 23 and a half or a 24, and I can't be asked to get that down again. Right. The, I mean, I'm just <laughs> Mate, saying, I'm, exactly I'm lazy. That, that's what this is coming down to. Everything I've said so far is just yeah. I'm incredibly lazy on this front. I know you're not lazy. I know that's a lie, but I've had a similar journey on the 5K. I'm, yeah, I've been out for a couple in the last week and it was like, yeah, 23, 24. Oh, and I just think, I don't think I've got any juice in the tank to go, to go lower than that. No, no. It does make me sad when people overtake me. <laughs> yeah, and then you want to get up your Strava from a year ago and go, no, I, I did do 20. I did do yeah. 20. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, mate, I used to use a thing called Endomondo, which yeah. they discontinued. So my last my last seven years of running just got lost and I moved to Nike Run Club. Oh, it's really well, annoying. I think once you've got it, that's, that's all that matters actually, because you can go back and go, oh, yeah, I did it once. Yeah, completely. But anyway, we, we digress. Thanks for, thanks for jumping on this, boys. Very, very excited about this one. Um, and in essence, the whole series of what I'm doing is just talking to all of the startups and businesses that, I've had exposure to in various different ways with you guys probably being, you know, the, the unofficial photographer for the uh, first few months with my skills on portrait mode on the yeah. iPhone. And um, with others who I've helped with fundraising and some of the, the sales consultancy bits and just getting everyone together just to talk through, not necessarily these, the startups you see every day on TechCrunch, but just more not to, um, dig you guys but you know just more more normal people starting businesses from scratch and seeing how they get from a to b to z um and what the whole process is like and with you you boys it's a qua where to start it's an unbelievable tale tell you all about a i don't know about z (laughs) (laughs) we're almost at b yeah what's before a because we've definitely taken a few backward steps from a (laughs) (laughs) it's all it's all part of it it's all part of it so i guess to start with, I was doing again a little bit of looking through where you boys are at. So we're in Dirty Vegan, Halo Burger, What the Pitter, Plant Hustler, Revival Coffee and Donuts, and that's over White City, Shoreditch, Brixton, and then in Brighton, Bournemouth Hall. You boys got about. We've got a new one as of yesterday, actually. Um, it's called Burger with a V, like Bulgari. Oh, so, so the V, the V after the B. Yes. Wow, I like it. There you go. <laughs> and see, what, see how that works? Yeah, I used, so to, get, I used to have Bulgari perfume when I was at uni. I so. Yeah, they started like kind of soft launch yesterday in uh, Wandsworth. Um, with the Around the corner. Store. Yeah, and they're going to be in Kensington with an actual physical location in the coming weeks as well. So yeah, 
that's happening. And uh, we've got quite a lot of conversations on the, on the go with others, other people as well, both vegan and non-vegan, small independents and bigger, bigger fish as well. So I think, um, you know, if we were having this conversation in six months time, I would hope that we'd probably be three times the number of locations, if not a lot more than that. Well, well, this is all, you know, we're, when, how old is Dapper now? Uh, Almost, you know what, I don't know when our birthday is, but I I think we just missed our second birthday. We incorporated the business in January, 2019. So almost the majority, well, almost, almost the majority of your lifespan has been through COVID. A horrible struggle. <laughs> a horrible struggle. Yeah, that's what it's been. Um, well, yeah, I mean, last last year, um, well, yeah, most of last year was all was obviously COVID. And then before then, I mean, I, I laugh, joke about a horrible struggle, but, you know, the first year, well, I'm sure we'll get onto this in more detail, but the first year was, how do you describe it? Oh, the first year we were running before we could walk. Massively. So, yeah, so we're, we're still, and that's why we're joking about, you know, being, you know, A's and B's and, and things like that. We're still, still finding our feet and we're, yeah, we're really, we really are only just getting started, which is exciting, um, especially when you consider that we do have customers, we have got a business. So we feel like we're only just getting started, but actually, you know, we are already quite, quite well established in some ways. Well, definitely. We've, I mean, you've got, made... I was going to say you've got what you're, you're 30,000 on the Insta page. The marketing has been unbelievable. And when, when you say, you know, taking steps forward and backwards, some of your hand was probably forced by COVID because you've gone from soft serve, you know, street food um, locations, having the permanent residence in King's Cross, still doing the soft serve, then to the, the tubs. Do you, do you call that hard serve? Is that the, the hard term? scoop? Yeah. Hard, hard scoop, hard scoop, hard scoop. Um, and now you're in you're in restaurants as well. So when you when you look at startups who go for, usually it's a B two C model, hopefully followed by a you know a B two B model, but you've got the two strands. Maybe I don't know if you're looking at you know going into um, you know shops to be bought, which you guys probably weren't looking at a year ago when you were focusing on the soft serve. But you've gone, you've gone all over the place. And you've you've managed to get this this funnel now of, of customers that can come from from any direction. Yeah, I think you know when you talk to startups as you as you do a lot, you probably hear people talking about <clears throat> pivoting and stuff like that um, quite frequently. I mean, the biggest pivot we did was was at the beginning of COVID when you know we had our trailer parked up in Shoreditch, ready to start our second year of trading there. Uh, we had various customers lined up and then suddenly COVID hit and it was like, we can't, you know, our revenue is going to go to zero basically. Yeah. Over and we, we formed a, a mini ice cream factory in the space of a few days already, didn't we? Very quickly. Yeah. And what, what was interesting <laughs> about that is that we, a lot of what has happened, um, we were planning to do anyway. Um, yeah. But, but it was accelerated because of um, coronavirus or because of lockdown. So, you know, in lots of ways, it was, it was actually great for us because it did speed, speed up 
um, a few things. And, and the other thing with the kind of B2B and also um, D2C or retail and B2B is kind of how we talk about yeah, it. Yeah. Um, there are similarities. It's, it's ice cream. We do ice cream. So there are similarities in the product. So what I'm trying to get to really is that the more you develop one of those products, the more you can then go back and develop the other products and they work together. You know, it's a symbiotic kind of relationship yeah. um, or ecosystem we have within the brand. Uh, so a lot of the work that we did last year because of um, coronavirus or the work that was accelerated because of coronavirus, we were then able to use to improve our B2B product. Yeah. And then we'll kind of go back and, and do the do the same thing on the retail side again. So I think, you know, pivoting and, and, and that kind of being able to move and adapt quickly is potentially really important for that reason it it, yeah. it can it can kind of lead you lead you off the path but then back onto the path and you've you've gained all of this new insight and you've learned a whole a whole load of stuff and i don't think that's not really when i think about pivoting I don't, I don't actually think of that but it seems to be a result of the pivot yeah yeah that makes sense i mean i remember when you guys were what january february time um gearing up to get in touch with festivals and to to get into the the vans around there and then the next thing, the next time I see Ollie, it's he's he's driven round to to deliver some some hard scoop, and straight away you guys. Yeah, I mean that must have been what April. So from from <clears> lockdown <throat> to you getting getting it out was that couldn't have been longer than six weeks. Well, our, first, our first delivery date when I was literally driving around with cool boxes and and tubs was at some point in March. It was like the twenty wow seventh or something. So we literally. Like COVID hit, they said you can't you can't open here anymore, and it was it was like three days. We we decided we set up an online. That's just the benefit of the the modern world as well that you can set up an online platform and start selling stuff to people through your website in in the you know in a day basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, you know the benefit of of having a smaller team. I think as well the fact that there are only three of us. Um, or three of us at the time meant that we could you know it's as easy as all right boys shall we do this yes or no if it's a yes okay how do we do it and then there you are and away you go and you can't do that if you're a massive firm you just you just you know it just doesn't work like that so having the kind of shorter um you know communication whatever you yeah. want to call it it does, does, does help as well it was also good that that happened in our second year because <clears throat> you know, we learned, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> we learned a lot of lessons in um, in year one. Like we said a minute ago, we were running before we could walk. We had four, we had four sort of simultaneous operations going either in London or at a festival. Uh, we, we had a decent sized sort of staff and we were all running on empty. Like that whole summer, it was, it was bonkers. Like, yeah. you know, the... the <laughs> we all had our own little breakdowns the, the low point for me was when I was in the gym and some song came on and I literally started crying <laughs> like I was doing I was doing one of those lap pull downs and some song comes on and I'm like oh, it's just too much <laughs> I ended up in a yoga studio uh, just what was the song bawling like, oh you know what I'm, I'm too embarrassed to say <laughs> I am too embarrassed <laughs> I'll tell you I'll tell you offline um, <laughs> It was banger. It was I, actually a banger, but the, I have I have pop ballads. I have pop ballads going. You know, I'm I'm partial to some 
some Taylor Swift when I'm when I'm working out, or I put on the the pop hits of whatever nostalgic year I, I want to choose. So, you know, this is a this never works. No knowledge. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll tell you. What <laughs> it, was a, it, was a, it was a UK garage track. Actually, believe it or not, made me cry. I'm trying to think. Oh my god. Anyway, the point I was making is we learned a lot of lessons in year one, which is having four locations. Uh, you know, you learn that out of those four, there was one really good one, one okay one, and two complete duds, really. Um, and paying staff to sit around and not sell ice cream is a really bad way to, is a really good way to lose money. Um, so, you know, we'd already learned after year one that we weren't going to stretch ourselves thin. We wanted, we wanted, you know, somewhere you could go and get dapper, um, which was Shoreditch. And then, you know, bigger focus on the B2B thing. So what we did was we completely reduced our cost base. We weren't tied into long, you know, uh, contracts for six months or beyond at, at different on sites. The leases anyway, yeah. This is exactly, yeah. So the only cost we really had in the business was was ourselves, which meant, um, you know, we, we were able to pivot, make enough ice cream to cover some of those costs. Um, didn't really get any government support because we didn't qualify for any of it. So it was just like, this is what we've got to do, boys. We've got to make some ice cream. If I'm driving around six hours a day, uh, so be it. If Justin's making ice cream for 10 hours a day, so be it. We just got to rough this one out. But actually, as Justin said, we learned so much from it that has been useful in our business since then that it was a really good experience to go through. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so that, that, that brings me round to, I guess, firstly, I, w- I want to go through the thing I'm excited about is the process of making ice cream, right? Which I'm sure most people are. Just everyone loves food and drink. So everyone's always interested in, in learning about this stuff. But to start with, because we've not said it yet, what is dapper ice cream? Um, I think, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'll, Long pause. I'll just let it come out. So, so we make thick, rich and outrageously creamy ice cream made from nuts. And that is, and that is it. And we can then go into that. So, it's thick, rich, and outrageously creamy because it's made from nuts. And we make it from nuts because we believe ice cream should be thick, rich, and outrageously creamy. Full so that's, that's, that really is a nutshell. I mean, it's taken a while, I think, for me to even get that nut, like get it like that. Tautology, isn't it? It's this because it's that. It's exactly. Because it's this. Exactly. So, yeah, you know, it's... Um, and, and part of that is keeping it simple as well. And, and the beauty of using nuts in ice cream is that you... You have the protein and the fats um, and also some starch from the nuts, which mean that you don't need to add, for example, um, an oil or a fat like coconut oil or palm fat. Um, Partially hydrogenated, something around which you see in a lot of ice cream. Exactly that. So, you know, we're all about the simplicity as well. We want want to keep the ingredients list as as short as possible. and nuts help us do that. So yeah, I mean, we're, we're, you know, we're just, we're crazy about nuts basically. And it, and it puts um, you in the, the thriving, you know, vegan or plant-based market as well. Exactly that. So we, we there, there, there wasn't um, a good enough ice cream made without milk, without dairy milk. 
um, available. So we just decided that we would do it, basically. And it's, you know, they talk about nuts and how they're simple and, and all the rest of it. It's taken us three years or however many years to really understand why they work and how they work. And part of what we've had to do as a business um, is, is do the science ourselves and understand certain things literally from the ground up because nobody else has done that. Like no, yeah. you go online and you can find a hundred years of science, uh, the science of dairy ice cream. There's nothing on nuts. There's nothing. Yeah. So you have to, you have to build it yourself. And was it, were the motivations behind starting it coming from a love of ice cream, a want to provide a um, vegan or, or plant-based product to the market or the financial rewards from riding a wave that is the plant-based and vegan market or all together and it all just matched up? It's the two um, former points combined is what I would say. So, uh, and, and also, uh, you know, being hell-bent on a no-compromise, authentic experience. So I don't expect anybody to eat ice cream that doesn't contain dairy if it doesn't taste as good, if not or you know, if not better than than the dairy counterpart. Like that's we're, we're quite hell bent on that. It's a no compromise thing. It's an authentic experience. It has to be um, for it to be viable. And then the third point is what we think will happen or does happen if you look at the way things tend to go. That's what happens when you when you can do the first two points um, successfully. As in, if you, can, if you can come up with something that's better than something else, but, but better in, in not, not better in the kind of, in a virtuous sense, but more in a, in a 360 experience sense. So that may include the, the virtue of, of something being plant-based or vegan friendly, but actually it should taste just as good, if not better. Yeah. And it should leave you feeling better. And, and that's, that, that's what you leave with. That's what you and that, that's something actually, which was, it took me a while to get my head around when you had people going to these different diets and a lot of it was for health reasons, but you know, you can't really regard ice cream as healthy, whether it's vegan or not. And that's nothing, that's, that's something that you guys have never pushed. You've never said this is a health conscious product. This is a really, really tasty product as an alternative, if you don't want dairy. We think people are smart enough to make their own decisions about how much of something they consume. You know, yeah. Justin is a type one diabetic. Uh, I'm, you know, I, I like to look after what I put in, in my body as well. You know, ice cream is a, is a treat. It's supposed to be enjoyable. We've made something which we believe ticks all of those ice cream boxes, as Justin was saying, sort of no compromise product. And, you know, if you eat ice cream for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you, you might see some negative effects, but um, you know, everyone's smart enough to make their own decisions. So we always lead on the, the good things about our ice cream rather than using the V word too much or talking about health benefits. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And they do taste bloody good, I'm, I must admit. Yeah. I think I've, I've almost OD'd on those ice creams on the, uh, was it the Wandsworth Secret Cinema Club? And yeah. I, I, I got there thinking when I went with, I took, went with, with Michael Timms and you guys very kindly gave us the VIP free ice cream coin, which was fantastic. 
I should just interject because otherwise we'll get in trouble. It was backyard cinema. Sorry, back, sorry, backyard cinema. Back, backyard cinema, fantastic. <laughs> we watched Queen at the Roundhouse. Yeah, Camden was it? It, um, it was. Yeah, they've got a permanent location in Wandsworth now. But um, yeah, they're good guys, so I wouldn't want to get their name. Big, on. big up backyard cinema. Always big up backyard <laughs> cinema. I've always said that about them. Um, but so we, we get there. <laughs> And we thought, right, let's not have dinner because we'll have some food and we'll get some ice cream. But there was no other food available. So mm. dinner was, we had the three courses of ice cream. All incredibly yeah. tasty. But I think... Dinner I think, of champions. Yeah, I got, I got a mild hangover the next day from the, from the sugar, I reckon. There was a guy there who came one. We had five, five flavour combos on the menu there. And there was a young man, 17 year old called Oliver Davis, who will forever remain in my memory. He, he showed up at Backyard Cinema. And when he ordered his first fat boy serving, which was our largest one, he was like, I'm probably gonna be back for another one in a few minutes. I love ice cream. And he was, and he had another one, a different flavor. Short, uh, cut forward about an hour, he'd had all five flavors of our ice cream. I think it was three or four fat boys and a, and a regular size, but, He's a still, uh, he still holds the, the Dapper World Record for most ice cream consumed. Well, Oliver Davis. Big up Oliver Davis. Yeah. Big up Backyard yeah, Cinema. Yeah. Shout out to both. <laughs> Maybe I'll try and find an Instagram tag for all of them. And really I'll, send you, I'll send you Oliver Davis if I can find him. <laughs> okay, so I guess the... Okay, we'll, we'll go with the the production of the of the ice cream first. So, I spoke to I think I introduced you guys to them at the start of the year. Those um, bloody drinks boys, yes, do the the lovely bloody Marys in a can. Really interesting. And they started by just a love of bloody Marys, and they were making these things in you know bathtub quantities as they were trying. So, how do you start? You've got an idea for an ice cream company. How do you start making this shit? <laughs> You're gonna to have to go back before nuts, aren't you? <laughs> well, just about, yeah. Um, well, kind of. I mean, it depends. Uh, what Oliver is um, talking about there is how I started. I had an ice cream concept Here we um, go. called Banana Bar. Okay. And we made ice cream from frozen bananas. And we had a pop up in Shoreditch for a few months. And it was. Um, really successful in lots of ways, but massively unsuccessful in other ways, including the kind of financial way or financial sense. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I see where Ollie came in. Nicely. Uh, yeah. Nicely. yeah, the private equity guy. That's <laughs> yeah. it, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I mean, you know, I was, I was head in the clouds, feet nowhere to be seen. Um, this, and this was my first kind of real, like, venture. Uh, I mean, what was I 24, 25, I guess? Yeah. I think. But um Head but yeah, so so that that's 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 how my kind of journey into ice cream started. It was with it was with a healthy, so fun, you know, funny that we were just talking about how you know Dapper is not about health at all, it's about the indulgence. But I wanted to start an ice cream concept where the focus was on health. And one of the big lessons I learned, and one of the reasons it was massive uh, successful to me is that I learned that lesson. People don't want a healthy ice cream. They want yeah. an indulgent ice cream. They want that real creamy experience, thick and, and rich. Um, 
but yeah, so, I, so that's how I started. Um, and then the, that, but that's completely different. How, how we made ice cream from bananas is completely different to how ice cream is like proper ice cream is made. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, did I even, did I learn anything about the production of ice cream? <laughs> I didn't actually, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't learn anything. The market research, made. as you said, there was, was invaluable. You yeah, exactly. The way that this, this health conscious approach just, just cuts out too much of the market. Exactly that. Exactly. And then actually, actually, before we go into the production, and that is a quite nice segue into how Ollie, you then got involved in this next project, as it were, which is now Dapper. Yeah. So, uh, as you mentioned earlier, I was in private equity uh, for about seven years. Learned a lot about business in that in that career, but didn't didn't want to be in it anymore for a variety of reasons. And I just left and thought, I'm going to have a bit of time out to, to find the next thing uh, and do some traveling. So I met Justin at the beginning of that kind of grown up gap year, as it turned out to be, yep. on a spiritual retreat in the south of France. Um, <laughs> we stayed in touch when I was traveling in South America. I was kind of advising him on some issues he was facing with his then business partners. And we were like sending long WhatsApp voice clips to each other across the, uh, across the ocean. And ultimately, oh, sorry, I, I forgot, I forgot a really important part. When I was back in the UK for a couple of weeks, I tried uh, Justin's soft serve ice cream made with almonds and cashews, and my mind was completely blown. I was like, this is sensational. How is it not made of milk? This is like the best thing I've ever tasted. And that, that, that kind of sowed a seed in my mind. <clears throat> and after giving him all this sort of advice, I said to him at some point, God, it's a shame we didn't meet six months earlier because I would have been a really good business partner for you and, and you for me. Yeah. Uh, and then we kind of thought, well, actually, we, we could just do that. Uh, so I, I kind of booked the next flight back from Colombia, um, landed in the UK in September 2018, and we've basically seen each other every day since then. <laughs> a true love story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so you already had then your... You were already on to the, the nut ice cream, Justin. Yeah, so, so, after, so after Nana Bar, I vowed to never um, venture into food business ever again. Uh, and it obviously didn't last long. I met Ollie on the, on the spiritual retreat, uh, end of 2017. And then early 2018, um, I was exploring uh, an idea it was a kind of an, an online uh, business idea away from food with uh, two business partners and then I think a few months into 2018 I said you know what I don't I don't want to do this I want to go back to ice cream <laughs> <laughs> but that but but not ice cream made from bananas you know it, it was supposed to be something more indulgent it was still actually a kind of a health twist to begin with um yeah. But actually, what, so what I then learned is that you, to talk about the production, so what, so what we did is that we bought an ice cream machine and then I just went to work and I just, that was the whole plan was make it work. There's no, there's no alternative. So, you know, so back, how, much, how much was this ice cream machine? What, how big are we talking? Oh, they're not, they're not, it's, it's a soft serve ice cream machine. So they're not massive. I mean, they weigh, they weigh about the same as me. I'm giving them all <laughs> that away now. About 90 kilos of, of bad. Um, and they, Twice they, as much as me. they sit on a countertop 
but yeah, it's just sort of six grand or thereabouts bit of kit. Wow, so yeah. that, that's, that's a hefty bit of kit. And yeah, that, that's a big that's a big leap, no? When you've had, you know, not to do a disservice to um, was it banana bar? But that's a banana bar. Banana bar, sorry, banana bar. That's not um, to do a disservice to it, but you've had a business that you'd vowed not to go back to, and then you shell out six grand on a uh, on an ice cream maker. Yeah, I should add that, that was that my business partners helped me out on that one um, at the time. I will add that in there. I don't want to take credit for, for shelling out the money, but what I will take credit for is then spending days and nights making a recipe without any idea what I was doing. So, yeah. you know, and, and like back up against the wall, you have a machine. It's okay. So what I had was two business partners that had invested the money in the machine, yeah. two business partners that I didn't want to let down. and I didn't want to let myself down. I'd said that I was going to do this thing. So I just went to work. But what I realized quite quickly is that you need, so I, so I started off with a, like I said, kind of health, healthy twist on soft serve ice cream. And the healthy twist was dates and cashews and water. So you, know, you get the fat from the, from the cashews, the sugar from the dates, and then obviously yeah. the water. And that's, that's basically what ice cream is, is fat, sugar, and water and ice. <laughs> so not all of the ice in ice cream is, is ice, some of it's water, but that's, a, that's another, I don't want to get too technical. I don't want to get technical yeah. on the, the, the ice and water and the difference between the two. We, we won't go that? into that. No, no, it's not going to. We'll forget about that. <laughs> Basically, sugar, fat, and, and, and water, or ice, a bit of both. And all, um, yeah. But it turns out that you, you, can't, you can't just put those things together. So I made an ice cream with dates and cashews. It came out the machine once, and then the machine clogged up, and that was it, and it was game over. And I almost cried myself to sleep that night um realizing that i was going to have to use sugar you know like white sugar yeah. sugar to actually make ice cream um and i woke up the next day and i said actually this is this is cool this is fine let's just do it you know let, let's just understand what ice cream really is and make it that way uh so i did you were still sorry and you were still focused on to begin with the non-dairy aspect of it so removing the, the dairy from the from the process yeah, so yeah. always non-dairy. Um, you became vegan before, way before that, didn't you? So I guess that's part of the part of the journey. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. I started eating a vegan diet around about the same time that I had the idea for Nana Bar. Right. Yeah. So it's actually, early twenty sixteen. Um, so yeah. So so for me, it was for health reasons. Um, and yeah and, and again you know there wasn't wasn't a good enough ice cream that was dairy free yeah. out there so that was like i say those kind of things combined that, that yeah make, you know, well there's, no, there's no linear path to these things anyway it often is you know this this you know curly whirly road to success yeah. or not so then you started putting the putting the sugar in yeah yeah so uh started putting the sugar in and then experimented with so cashews have got this kind of funny aftertaste um, to me anyway, if, um, if, if, if there's too much of it. Um, so, so I wanted to, to kind of remove some of that nutty cashewy taste, but keeping the ingredients less short. Yeah. So I started looking at almonds and then, you know, the almonds got involved and they came in and then it was, uh, you know, making an almond milk from scratch and, and blending that with the cashews and the sugar um, and the vanilla and all this kind of stuff. And that's where it started. That's how the recipe started. Um, you know, in one of these machines, 
I don't know if this is particularly helpful for how to get into production, but that's how it started. Right. Yeah. No, no, no. It's all part of it. It's all part of it. And then that's the, you know, one of those tubs I'm guessing that you sent to, sent to Ollie to then try. No. So this, this is a soft serve ice cream, like Mr. Whippy soft serve yeah. ice cream. I went down to Victoria. What's it called? St. Catherine's Docks. St. Catherine's where he was at a market. I tried it and I was like, right. yeah, this is pretty good. But but the number of, you talked about a meandering path, you know, the number of iterations of recipe and process that we've gone through since that day is, is remarkable, you know. Even in the last six months. Yeah. And you know, it, the, this is just sitting there with the ice cream machine and just. Yeah. Iterating, a lot, of, iterating, iterating. A lot of my life, like, I mean, certainly <laughs> for the last six months, a lot of my life has been, go to the kitchen, change one thing in a recipe and eat quite a lot of that ice cream. I'm not complaining, but that has been a lot of my life. And yeah, you, you can change. So, so in terms of getting into production, once you actually look at scaling out of your kitchen, you have to think about you know, the reality of manufacturing a product. It's not, it's just, it's so different to what it is in your kitchen. And the equipment that is used is completely different. Right. Um, what, what you can you can make with with an okay blender, you could make an okay ice cream with an okay ice cream maker in your house. Yeah. Um, but you can't scale that up to a factory. Yeah. So you then you have to start to understand what equipment is needed in a factory setting. Well, is this is this bef before you got into fa factories? I guess. That that came did that come after you were doing a, the dapper stool where you did the you know you had one machine there pumping out the soft serve or was there some manufacturing that needed to happen for that to take place? One of the first things that happened when I came on board with Justin was we we took a look together at the process behind making a soft serve and instantly I was like <clears throat> this has to change. So what you used to do to go to to a market do you want to Describe that because yeah, yeah, go, yeah, go for it, go for it, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I used to uh, we rented a, a tiny little kitchen. This is this is before Dapper. This is before Dapper. Yeah, we had a tiny little kitchen, and I used to uh, blend up all of the ingredients and uh, stick that mix. You know, like five liter, just the water bottles is what we used to stick it in. So a five liter bottle like that, and you stick it in a freezer, and then you freeze it down. And you go to an event and you defrost that mix. And that, I mean, even yeah. that, that is probably, you know, that isn't how we started. It started with us. I mean, the original idea was to make the ice cream from scratch in front of your eyes at an event. <laughs> uh, and then that changed so that we would do it just before we went to the event. Yeah. And then it changed again and then it changed again. And then it changed to we would make it and then freeze it and then defrost it because once you start doing more than one event a week, you realize that you need to kind of batch process things or batch yeah. produce things. But the problem with the, with the defrosting mix is that you might turn up to an event and your, your mix isn't fully defrosted, or you may have another issue with the mix um, actually going off uh, because it didn't freeze down quickly enough. Yeah. Or you, or you, or you, you know, you defrost, two five litre bottles of mix and then it starts raining and you have to throw it in the bin at the end of the day. So one thing that Justin and I agreed very early on working together was we need a way to 
not be wasting mix and not to be adding sort of 17 steps to the process yeah. before you've even sold any. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so a big part of what we started doing before Dapper even existed was, you know, Justin was on the phone to potential production. We, need, we realized that we needed something we could just get made in advance and then blend up or just put straight into the machine when we needed it in smaller quantities so we weren't going to waste a load and we weren't going to spend a load of time mixing things together in front of the, the potential customer. Um, and we settled on a, a dry mix uh, ultimately, which has stayed with us since then. Um, it's had various iterations, but essentially we have these pouches of uh, 700 grams of dry ingredients. So yeah, nuts, sugar, salt, um, <clears throat> and we pop them into a, a Vitamix blender with water and vanilla extract, Madagascan vanilla extract. Lovely, say. stunning. And, uh, yeah, and uh, and blitz it up, and you can do that in two liter batches, which then goes straight into the machine. So the most you're ever going to kind of waste, in effect, is is like two liters instead of potentially. And, and to get and to get that dry powder, I don't know if we're well. We'll keep going anyway. Um, to get that dry powder, are you, you've created your own mix and ingredients and then do you send that off to the producer or the manufacturer and they tell you, yes, we can make a dry version of this? So the dry, it's a dry blend of the ingredients for the ice cream. So it's basically, it's the ice cream minus the water. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it was, it's ground nuts and, and sugar and some other bits and pieces at certain quantities mixed in a certain way. And that's what we only yeah, yeah. find a manufacturer for. And again, when you're when you're mixing, you could make you could you could do this with a set of kitchen scales, you know, on a really small scale, great. But you can't scale that up. You can't mix. You can't weigh each in, uh, ingredient out individually into a tiny bowl and then put that in a pouch. Yeah, that would take you forever. So you have to find someone or a manufacturer that can do that process more quickly and on a bigger scale. So that was, I guess, the first step into the into kind of manufacturing or factories. Yeah, still very elementary. That's there's nothing about ice cream in that process at all. It's just a mix of ingredients. There, are, there are a couple of big obstacles that Justin had to deal with in that process as well. If we're kind of thinking about what other people might come up against, yeah. one is the fact that we use nuts, and if you call up a load of factories, allergies eliminate seventy percent of them. Just easily. Just merely by the fact that you use nuts. So suddenly your universe of potential suppliers gets a lot smaller. Then you basically, I mean, the number of different types of machine I've heard Justin talk about over the last two years is insane. He basically <laughs> researches, he goes down these deep tunnels of like rabbit holes, basically looking at machine specifications and trying to work out who's got what and whether we could use this kind of mixer or that kind of mixer. Basically, Justin's kind of taught himself not only not only ice cream science, but kind of like some kind of manufacturing, uh, <laughs> I don't know, some manufacturing qualification as well. <laughs> when he speaks to these people, he tries to get, get on Groupon. Yeah, exactly. He tries to get on the same same kind of level before he has a call. Well, that's a, that's a really important point there and, and something that I recommend to anybody. And anybody, anytime anybody asks me about food manufacturing or, or just anything like that, I guess one of my big pieces of advice is understand as much as you can before you get on the phone so that you 
you do actually know a little bit about what you're talking about. You become an educated buyer, right? You can yeah. have a bit of an insight into what they're talking about. Yeah, you're in a much you're in a much stronger position if you understand at least the basics. Like, and that's pretty much all it needs to be is the basics. Yeah. In fact, the more the, when you when you do go you you go further on, and actually, what sometimes what happens, and this has now happened to us, is that you end up knowing more than some of these manufacturers, and that's when you go, oh, okay, we we now have a secret recipe, or we now yeah. have a secret process. Um, so that's that's kind of an interesting maybe byproduct. Um, but it it really like you could spend a couple of days, or you could spend a week just understanding a little bit more about the equipment and the manufacturing. And also what you do is you build your confidence so that when you do get on the phone, you, yeah, it just makes it so much easier. Yeah, yeah. You're not kind of saying yes to them before you've asked all the questions you really need the answers to, which I think a lot of people do. They'll just say, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Put the phone down and go, oh, I really should, should have asked about that, but I didn't. Yeah. And you could, you could save yourself a packet as well. I mean, the alternative is that you just pay a consultant Five thousand pounds. Yeah, a lot of people do it. But oftentimes, and especially if if nobody has ever made your product, which is which is, where we, is you exactly. So you so you could spend a week or two weeks understanding something, not only save some money but understand it more, which puts you in a better position <clears> to then negotiate moving forwards. Yeah, and then I guess this this is this is quite an interesting point actually with all of the businesses that I've been speaking to. And something that I experienced myself when I had the, um, well, various ventures, but particularly with the the gambling company I had a few years back, was that on feedback. Now, if you read all of, you know, the the lean startup and all the little startup geek books, they always tell you, you know, to get as much feedback and take as much advice on as possible. But the one thing I realized and has been similar to a lot of other founders is that some feedback is shit. And some you have to completely ignore. And I think people find that really, really difficult. Having someone tell you, oh, have you thought about doing this? And then you having to go very politely, oh, yeah, that, that's a good idea. Um, and totally dismissing it. I mean, how did you find? Because with, with food in particular, it's a taste thing, right? So that's, that's quite difficult to, to know who to listen to. And I guess on the maybe the branding front as well as you've, you've gone, how have you been able to take on advice, feedback, know what to take on and what not to along the way? And did you guys find that difficult at times? It's a nice segue into some of the comments you got in the early days about, about our ice cream. Yeah, I, I, um, people, I, I spoke to people in the industry who told me that it's not, I mean, I've had this countless times. <clears throat> oh, it's not possible. Oh, you know, nobody's done that before. Oh, you're dealing with nuts. The, the equipment's too expensive or this or that it's never been done before and it's just blah 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 and that's the kind of feedback that i will ignore time and time again i'm not interested if you're going to tell me that you can't do it you can you can do one because it's not true it's just not true which well, shows there's, you, there's a great big market there ready well exactly and this is the thing it's just it's it's your perseverance and it's your belief in the thing um and you just crack on and it's some hard work and and but but you you will find that there is a way to do it somehow it may not be viable and and this is a this is maybe what people are scared of or put off by they think well actually i don't even think people get to this point a lot of the time but you could argue that you can do anything but it doesn't mean that it will be viable for you as a business of course, as yeah. in, 
of course, you can manufacture this product, but it's going to cost you too much money, which means that it's not viable in the marketplace. Well, it's the old, that's the old drilling for oil scenario, right? There's lots of it out there, but it's too expensive to get. So you yeah. could go and find yourself, you know, an, an oil hoard, but it's going to cost you too much to do it. And that happens particularly in the tech industry where you have startups who have these ideas. They spend a hundred grand developing the tech to do it. And the sunk costs are just too high for any investor or anyone else to get involved with because sometimes great ideas exist, but great ideas don't always make economic sense. And that can be really difficult. Exactly that. So if you're a big firm, there's no way. In fact, I've said it before, but you could not pay me to do what I do. And I think... Ollie would probably say the same thing. We don't pay you. <laughs> <laughs> don't pay you Good job you're on the same page on that one then. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but that's the thing. It doesn't make economic sense. And that's the beauty of it. We're not yeah. like, we're, we're so obsessed oftentimes with, um, with rationality and logic that we forget that actually that isn't how it works. Most things don't start that way. I always go back to music and music theory. Music theory came after music. Yeah, so the, it's the kind of logical, the format or the structure that tends to come after the thing. So how do you get to the thing? It's not you don't do the you don't do the thing that comes after to get to the thing before. Well, people try and make a, a you know, a conventional truth about how things happen. Right. It's like the, the hindsight paradox where they go, oh, this must have been how this happened. It's correlation, yeah, it's not necessarily causation yeah. on it. Try and draw a straight line from A to B when actually you've done loop loops and circles and you've spoken to completely irrelevant people and suddenly find, like you said, drilling for oil. Yeah. yeah. You know, finding the right supplier is definitely like drilling for oil when you've got a product like ours. And one thing that Justin has done really well, which not all people are good at, is he's got on the phone and I think... <laughs> He, he had a, a stint as a as a was it headhunter or headhunting? He's an absolute beast on the phone. Like he's he's sort of disarming and very charming, but you know, he manages to get to the right outcome, which is if you can't help me, if you've got any suggestions of people that could help me, and he just has this sort of big funnel effect, makes a thousand phone calls, and eventually, you know, all being well, he's he, he drills for oil and finds a <laughs> Finds, finds the, right, the well. <laughs> yeah, finds the well and, and finds suppliers that, that understand what we're trying to achieve and can help us get there. Yeah, I, I mean, that, it also goes into, when you mentioned the theory, I remember with, I used to have arguments with my co-founder all the time on this about customer acquisition cost, right? And what makes sense. And the thing I always use, because I'm not a numbers guy at all, I've always just enjoyed the creative process side of things a lot more, which is often why I come up with things and then just don't do anything about it afterwards. Um, but I used to get so frustrated with these numbers. You would you would have a look at a load of surveys or um, industry analysis and you'd get your numbers for customer acquisition or or whatever. And then you would base your entire business plan. And this, this is more relevant for fundraising, let's say. You would base your entire business plan on these pre-made businesses which are totally different to what you're creating. If it's a new concept, it just happens to be in the same sector. And that, that again, is just using theory as opposed to, you know, the power of what a new idea can bring. Yeah, new, new ideas are dirty and messy and chaotic. And you yeah. have to embrace that. The birth of anything, if you think about it, the birth of anything <laughs> chaotic and messy 
and all the rest of it. Very poetic. It's something that you would you would want to do all of the time. But actually, if you do quite a lot of it, you may get lucky. You know, you, yeah. you will increase your exposure to luck. So the the harder we work and the crazy, the more crazy things that we do now. And we're kind of going back to the A to B thing. We're around about the A or maybe before the A at the moment. We're still understanding our product. We're still understanding yeah. the science. We're still understanding the industry. We're laying the groundwork. You know, we really, we really are just getting started. So I think it's actually important to have that kind of mindset as well. You don't, you don't expect things to just like work straight away. Yeah. Well, we yeah. did expect things to work straight away to be completely yeah. honest. Yeah. yeah, you always do. Yeah, if you, you, you cast it back two years, we had a business plan. It was utterly ridiculous. Yeah. It was insane. <laughs> Looking back now, you know, you mentioned our King's Cross site earlier. The projections we put in our business plan for, for that site, <laughs> it, it was <laughs> ridiculous. It, it honestly is very funny to look at it now. Was it fraudulent? Near fraudulent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like we learned stuff in that year which is informing the kind of conversation we're having now. But we had we had grand plans. Originally, we were going to just open dapper shops all over the world. Uh, and then suddenly, well, very soon after that, we realized that that was not a good way of doing it. And the, the best way to achieve our our kind of goal of, of getting the milk out of ice cream is to get our ice cream and shakes into as many mouths as possible. Um, and without crazy funding behind us the quickest and most efficient way to do that is to is b2b yeah well, well okay well that, that brings us really nicely onto that then you know we've we mentioned at the start some really really good partners you guys have had and i always see it pop up on instagram someone with this you know this shake which isn't you know just a your classic ice cream the community you guys have been in is obviously really really strong um amongst you know not just vegan and plant-based but that kind of startup food and beverage community. How did you guys approach doing some of these JVs? How did they come about? Well, Ollie, what Ollie has been amazing at is basically starting the B2B side of the business. So I think you're, you're most qualified for this one. Yeah, originally we we had all these grand idea, ideals about how our business was going to run and they just proved to be stupid and ridiculous like a lot of other things we thought two years ago. Um, it was actually Dirty Vegan approached us first up and said, <clears throat> uh, we're, we're coming up with this, we're opening this new restaurant, we've tried your ice cream at um, Vegan Nights, we love yeah. it, um, <clears throat> do you want to supply us? And we're like, eh, probably not. Um, well, and we hadn't even thought about supplying yeah, it restaurants. Was, it was definitely demand-led, mm. I suppose, and... Um, Cut a long story short, we started supplying them in December 2019 and they were absolutely killing it in uh, Westfield Shopping Centre with the Christmas shoppers and then the January sales shoppers. We were like, hang on a minute, <laughs> this makes a lot of sense. We don't have any staff. We don't have any rent. Um, and they can make a really good margin on, on their sales of our product and we can make a bit of money by doing it. So like suddenly it was like a light bulb moment for us. And actually got us out of the doldrums of, of the post-summer slump yeah. where, we, where we lost all the adrenaline of, of being in the, in the thick of it. We also did the accounts and we're like, oh, <laughs> that wasn't quite what we thought it was going to be. Um, 
and then yeah, suddenly there's sort of light at the end of the tunnel. So um, God, I can't remember what the original question was, but how do we engage with people? Yeah, we they engage with us. Um, we we you know we look at the, the the people that have come to us. A lot of it comes from Instagram because um, yeah. you see you see how that works. That's that's not rocket science. Um, some referrals and some people just trying it at places. Well, but very quickly to, to interject on that, the, the Instagram thing is really interesting with you guys because I remember going to your King's Cross store because it was down the road from, from my office at the time, um, which was great for me, um, mm. costing you boys a fortune, but great for me. And I remember going there and having a chat and having a catch up on how it was going. And I remember one of the, one of the poor lads you had on the till hadn't asked the customer to stick it on their Instagram. And you were relentless with pushing everyone to every time customers there, ask them, have you got us on Instagram? Could you please put up a photo, right? Or share it or tag us. But that's really, really important because people are so precious over talking about Instagram or, you know, actually asking the question, oh, can you just do this for us? And people generally are quite receptive. But that's something that you were really, really on the ball with. Yeah, we really invested a lot of effort into that and it was successful. You know, we 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 looked back at our first year as a bit of a, you know, a lessons learned thing, like I said, from a financial perspective, running before we could walk. But by running before we could walk and really hammering that Instagram, we'd built so much buzz around the around the brand. The brand's amazing. And, yeah. You know, built up a bit. Yeah, Justin's done all that himself as well. So, you know, um, He's got the design background as well so it's all done in-house and um that the effort we we made in that year one has really kind of paid dividends thereafter because we're getting inbound interest from all manner of places now you know i had a conversation uh this morning with a, a milkshake place uh that is completely nothing to do with veganism but he said i'm getting a lot of um interest from people for vegan plant-based options is yeah. something you can with sure uh I've and what do you guys do do you supply the the dry pouch yeah the, the pouch um and also we have our own sources that, that justin has developed which of we can course, have yeah. for us um we're kind of like a one-stop shop for anyone who wants to do ice cream or shakes yeah um, and yeah we're just getting a lot of a lot of inbound i had a, a chat with people in france don't know how they, they saw it on instagram as well and just said yeah we'd love to go with this and as we sort of mentioned to you before, we've got a very exciting conversation, which is sort of three months in. We've been talking to this one uh, brand since October, I think. Um, and it looks very promising that there's going to be an announcement made on that pretty soon. So unbelievable. Very exciting. Yeah. Um, and then so we have obviously with all these restaurants, they're doing the they're doing the soft serve, right? Salsa and shakes, actually, we, you know, another, another kind of pivot, not pivot, but another extension to what we were originally doing, just by, by doing dapper shakes, we obviously went from a quite a seasonal product to very much all year round uh, product with the I shakes. Get, so. You know, what's interesting about that is I bet at the time, because I remember thinking this myself when you guys were hammering it in the summer and I was thinking, God, this is so seasonal. And obviously you guys as founders would be really optimistic about people still want something sweet, even if it's cold or whatever. But I nothing went through my head that, oh, well, this is quite close to a milkshake or a shake or 
you know, restaurants have ice cream for dessert all year round or anything like that. That hadn't gone through my head. Or I guess, I don't know if it did you guys at the start, but it's something. Yeah. That... Well, Ollie, Ollie, uh, Ollie had the idea for um, Dapper Shakes, actually, right in, right in the beginning. Really? Um, that you'd mentioned. It was one of the first things I, I got excited about thinking at the time, I was like, you know, what if every vegan burger joint had a Dapper Shake? I called it Dap Shake at the time. I was really into the, you know, that Dap Shake. And, and we talked about it and we thought it was, a, it was a good idea. But then, you know, life happens and you've got, as a startup, you've got like a million priorities, especially with the four sites that we decided to yeah. open. So it just went somewhere down the agenda and never came back until Dirty Vegan said, we're thinking of doing shakes. And you went, I uh, told you, I told you Dap Shakes. <laughs> <laughs> but also, shapes are made with ice cream so we are an ice cream brand dapper is an ice cream yeah. brand and you can make a shake with ice cream so they, they are they go together so well yeah yeah um, and that and that's um yeah i mean we yeah we're an ice cream brand and we have a, a really fantastic shake offering and, and that that makes a lot of sense at the moment and i think it probably will make sense forever yeah yeah definitely for sure and so then in terms of the the pivot to hard scoop that kind of had to happen. You've gone from focus on soft serve and the, um, the shakes. How, how, how did you guys then so quickly pivot again? How, how, how did you do it so quickly into producing a hard scoop product, which looks great. And is like the obvious to be rolled out in Sainsbury's locals around the world. Yeah, so yeah, so we'd um, we'd already started developing a retail product or a hard scoop product um, in summer 2019. So you know we'd already started to realise in summer of 2019 that ice cream is seasonal and we need to think about a way to you know de-seasonalise the business, yeah, um, the brand, and the obvious way to do it was with a retail product. Yeah. So, um, so we started to do the development, um, which meant that when lockdown happened, and we we, I mean, yeah, lockdown happened, and we said, okay, what have we got? What can we do? We obviously we can't sell ice cream at events anymore. We can't sell it out the trailer. We can't. That's a no go. But we're not gonna we're not gonna just go to sleep for a few months and wait till this whole thing blows over. And thank God we didn't, because here you know here we are, and it's still, yeah, still yeah. in the midst. So um, so we said, okay, what we're we gonna do. Um, and we said, what have we got? We've got ice cream machines. We've got some tubs. We've literally got the branded tubs left over from summer and we've got each other. We've got a team. Yeah. We've got a team that can work together really well. We've got a team that have weathered several storms, um, and, and built up a lot of resilience as a result. So what can we do? And we said, yeah, we can make, we can make, um, a retail, a hard scoop product. We can tub it up with the soft serve ice cream machines that we've got, and then we can distribute that. And, and that's, what, that's... What's the difference in the um, production to make a... I don't want to focus too much on production, but what is the difference between production for a soft and a hard? So, it, I mean, if you're, using, um, if you're using a soft serve ice cream machine to make hard scoop ice cream, then that's what we would call a hack job. Yeah. <laughs> ah, ah, yes, I know it. I know the term. Well, we love a hack job. So, um, so you know, we hack jobbed our way through last year. Our business is built on a, <laughs> a series of hack jobs. Yeah, it's all, all hack jobs. jobs. All hack jobs. God bless the hack job. 
Shout out, big ups. Big up um, the hack jobs. Big up the hack jobs. So yeah, so that was a hack job. But what we what we then did is start to talk to factories about producing a hard scoop ice cream. Yeah. And it's quite different. Um, I won't go too technical. Primarily, it needs to be scoopable out of the freezer. Well, that's that's a big that's a part of it, yeah. But the the equipment is different. So a soft serve ice cream machine is what you'd call a batch freezer ice cream machine. So literally, batch it freezes a batch, um, and then you've got a kind of a, a step up from there where it's not a soft serve machine. It's for ice cream or gelato. It's a scoop a scoopy product, a hard scoop product. And then beyond that, in manufacturing, you have what's called continuous freezing, and that's a massive machine that that will continuously freeze whatever goes through it. So right. you've just got the cream on tap until you turn it off, basically. And that's how you produce ice cream. That's how you manufacture ice cream um, at a commercial scale. Um, so that's what we, need, we needed to find. We needed to find a factory yeah. that could do that for us and also do it for us in a hurry. That's it. The um, turnaround was unbelievable. I can't believe you said your first delivery was March. I mean, that's... Yeah, that was, where did we get in the factory? The, the the way we did it was we had our own little mini factory, which was basically Justin. And then me and Chris would sometimes get involved with that as well, churning out different special edition flavors each week. Which it was about, about 100 a day. And that would take, with a, with one of these soft serve ice cream machines, which are not designed to do this, that's, that's like a 12, I think it was 12 hour day, or eight, between eight and 12 hours it would take to do 100. And then, and then the delivery was brilliant. You know, it was, it was Instagram, name your location, we're in Southwest today, get your yeah. orders in, boom, we're in West, we're in East. Yeah, that evolved quite nicely. Originally we were like, we're gonna deliver like a one mile radius from where we make it. We <laughs> oh, yes. like kind of <laughs> Everyone would have won it. And then we realized that about five of our followers lived in that radius. Um, <laughs> so before you know it, I was, I'd love to find the picture. I basically had a, we, we used, um, we downloaded something, something called Trackpod, which, we use for arranging the deliveries. Yeah. And I had a picture of all the, the routes saved on trackpod in, in like a spider diagram of all the different places I've been around London. And it was epic. It was like, I've seen all the darkest, deepest, darkest corners of London, done a lot of mileage. I'm gonna need a copy um, of that. I wanna see a screenshot. Yeah, I will, I'll find it actually. It wasn't even complete. It was like, <laughs> it was, it was, it, omitted the first 15 journeys or something but it, it was really funny we would go anywhere basically if somebody wants ice cream i will drive there um people loved that people yeah. loved i did yeah I had a little chat in my garden with ollie yeah, yeah. The feedback, I mean, looking back um i went on the first first <clears throat> maybe maybe a couple of runs with you i think it was probably the first one <laughs> and then i was like no i'm not doing that anymore <laughs> i'm making the ice cream um, which is just as much of a slog. So I like to think we shared the, the, the slog together. Um, and Chris as well on the, on the back end with the, you know, configurating delivery routes and things like that. Um, but it was amazing to see, you know, how, how much it made people's day. And that's, it's so, it's so precious. It's so great to be able to do that. And, and, and the, to have the flavors you were coming out with as well was, it was new flavor each day. Yeah. Every week we did it. We did that as another one of my crazy ideas that, that um, I like to think I've learned from, but probably haven't. Uh, so yeah, we thought let's let's go let's go crazy with the collaborations and different flavors. I mean, it was mental. So, yeah, so we had like one a week. How many did we have in the end? I think we did over twenty different flavors in the end, and about half 
maybe more than half of them were brand collaborations. What was so, amazing about yeah, that? How did, how did that work then? How do you get a brand? Because you can't just start throwing Oreos in and then label it Oreo ice cream. I mean, you can as a hack job, but... Some reached out to us and then... We, already, yeah. we were reaching out to a few. There were a few brands that I'd wanted to collaborate with um, anyway. And then we, we, we approached them. And the great thing about what we do is that everybody loves ice cream. Yeah, fact. So you, you, you know, do you want to work with us? We do ice cream. Send us the ingredients and we'll turn it into a flavor that's, that's bespoke to you or has your name on it. People are like, yeah, great. We, so we made it really easy for companies to say yes. And that's a, another big thing that, that you know, is... I think it's important to focus on. Make it easy for people to say yes. Make it hard for people to yeah. say no. Was the most bureaucracy with that kind of stuff though? I'd imagine that's the thing, that's the kind of thing that would take some time to... Not really. Not really. Not None of the brands we're working with, they're mostly independent brands that have got yeah. a bit bigger. London-based. So the idea was work with London, so it was a marketing exercise and it, and it did really well for the kind of lockdown period, the three months or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. Around May time is when it really kicked off. Um, but the idea is that it was marketing. So it was, you know, we know we're not going to make loads of money this year or over this period. Everything's shot to bits. What can we do? We can build the brand. We can grow the brand. We can market ourselves and we can learn a lot about a retail product. So, so the idea was London-based brands um, that, that make sense with ice cream. So we had a coffee brand, Pact, who yeah. actually reached out to us. And that was... That was really amazing because yeah, Pactor, Pactor, a big, big business now. They're a big firm, and I yeah. remember listening to a podcast with the founder Stephen something, I believe. They were twenty fourteen, uh, maybe they they launched. I, I yeah. had to, I mean, big up Pact, but I did have to end my subscription when I was about. I thought I was cool getting a subscription, but it was a bit spenny for me as like a twenty three year old on twenty <laughs> brand a year. Yeah, it was spenny. Um, but great, great quality coffee. Yeah, I must brilliant. Say. Um, but yeah. They, I'd actually, I'd listened to a podcast with the founder of that way back when, back in, I don't know, 2015 or something, I think. And I thought, wow, what a cool company. And then they reached out to us. So that was, that was a kind of like, oh, this is cool moment. I had a little. Similarly with minor figures, wasn't it? They. Yeah, we said we wanted to do something with them and then they reached out. Oh, we didn't, we didn't. Did they reached out make... to us. I can't remember. We made... No, we did. Mate. We made a chai latte ice yeah, cream. Yeah. We won't talk about the chai latte ice cream. Oh, it's delicious if you like chai latte. I'm not into chai I'm latte. Maybe yeah. <laughs> really likes chai latte. Yeah. It's a bit niche. Very niche. But it was basically we, during that period of time we were just keeping the dream alive. That was we that were was flat out. Be great with a dishroom. They love their dish, chai yeah. lattes. Yeah, yeah. Dishroom, get in touch. Really... Get in touch, dishroom. Yeah. <laughs> Some, someone knows Dishing, I can't remember, got a contact there. But anyway, <laughs> we were keeping the dream alive. It was really good. Uh, we also learned a lot about the retail products, as Justin was saying. The, mo the biggest thing we learned about ice cream in tubs was that it didn't work the way we were doing it. So, you know, I'm the numbers guy, as you've learned from this conversation. Justin yeah. is the, the recipe and development guy, production guy. And cut a long story short, you know, the production combination of production costs, the distribution costs and the storage costs for a frozen product, you know, we, we use the term mouths to feed. There were just too many mouths to feed on that product for yeah. it to be profitable for us. There was an extra stage in the production process. We needed to get the nuts pr processed in a certain way. With that extra stage being done by the factory, they were charging through the nose for it. We were basically doing all this work to 
break even or make a small loss on on the ice cream if we were wholesaling it so you know we learned that if you're making a really premium product like we are with nuts and other nice ingredients you need to find ways to just cut off a few p pence here and there yeah otherwise you don't think that is viable and that has informed the development that justin did on the product after that and now we actually have something that is viable um we haven't got it and more, more delicious as well, more yeah. delicious and, and better overall. A better product without any real sense of nuttiness, which is something Justin's been working on for a long time. It's just a really delicious, clean, thick, rich, outrageously creamy uh, <laughs> ice cream, which we can get made in a factory on, on, you know, on mass and actually have a little bit of margin left at the end of the day. So it's going to open up a whole new world of, of opportunities for us when we have the time to focus on it. Well, well, this is Which it, is yeah. I, th I think the, the amazing thing about watching you guys literally since inception and how it's gone is what we said at the start, what was a, an ice cream stall into having this B2B retail and restaurant avenue as well as the D2C aspect as well, all perfectly scalable. And you've managed to, I guess, have a have a have a finger in each one of those pies as you as you've gone which yeah. but this is the, this is it's the or it's the start of the alphabet bit it's <laughs> figure all this stuff out um as soon as you can i want to say as soon as you can it might take a few years but yeah, figure yeah, all that stuff time. out <laughs> yeah. to build your yeah it takes a while but build your foundation and then scale it from there grow it from there um arguably we haven't we haven't actually done that because we we started in b2b and you know shout out to ollie here because i i didn't think we were ready to do b2b and that's because i'm the product guy and you know perfectionist on the product and i yeah. have to be and somebody has to be and it's important but it can get in the way sometimes perfectionist paralysis and all that jazz but ollie said do you know what we are ready and we can do this and let's figure it out and we did and we're now like because of that decision and because of the efforts that were made there we're now in the position that you've just mentioned we've got fingers in a few different pies and each of those pies are lovely scalable pies yeah and in due scalable course, pies they're scalable pies they're the tastiest <laughs> i like that yeah the tastiest <laughs> and the... <laughs> yeah um well I, I won't keep you guys much longer i just wanted to touch on the branding and the voice and i guess the pr we've touched on a bit of everything in terms of um you guys have been brilliant on on instagram and social media and it was very clear from the way I saw Ollie firsthand work with the importance of that and the understanding of that. Um, similarly with at any venue, making sure there was a lot of noise about it. Whenever I went to vegan nights, for instance, your cue was always the biggest. It always, the even down to the way you make your ice creams with the toppings is just so grammable, right? It just looks good. You want to take a photo of that kind of stuff. And so that aspect has worked really well um but then i remember as well and i don't know we can actually edit this bit out if you don't want to go into it but i remember at the start you had to change your voice right because it was a bit too it was like mm -hmm. something about get your milk milkers out or something. yeah 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 exactly yeah. and was that how, how long was the process of of doing that and changing it because that's a feedback Instant. thing I'm getting. did someone say all that's offensive. Yeah, no, no. Um, I mean, we had 
basically it was our first event actually so that's how quick it was it was our first event march 2019 yeah uh yeah yeah mark yeah. i think so march 2019 and we had a big banner that said milk is for tits and the other banner said that we stay saucy stay saucy we knew even before we did it we knew it was borderline yeah it was risky it was risky but we thought it was it was risky in a good way and that it would sort of make a statement um but, but it upset a few too many people and, and what we realize is we're, we're not what we're out to do we're not extremists we don't want it's hard enough having a product that's vegan uh, you know let alone putting a when it comes to the extremism thing let alone put in a, a, a slogan out there that says milk is for tits it was just too much <laughs> Especially because um, we're, we're three guys, mm, you know. If yeah, we, yeah. If we were three girls, statistics, it might be completely different. Yeah. You know, some people loved it. We had pregnant women buy a T-shirt on day one, going, "This is amazing." We had vegans saying, "This is epic, love it." Mm. But we also had a few people that were upset, and we had my sister and girlfriend before, um, and my mum. Yeah, just saying. <laughs> mm, sure you want to do this yeah. and and yeah some things as a brand we are bold and we want to take risks and that's part of being a startup if you're not doing any of those things then and you change quickly startup, or you're playing you again you actually quickly yeah so so we want to be bold and, and a little bit outrageous and, and flirtatious and things like that we don't want to be offensive for no reason there was yeah, no reason I'm, I'm very glad you said that other. i'm glad you said that because this is something i was talking to to will from bloody drinks about is it's done amazingly well it's an unbelievable business but i really don't like the whole um brew dog punk kind of fuck you attitude to pr i find it a bit i find it just a, a bit too fuck the man for fuck the man's sake for instance they yeah, did yeah, something they did something about um saying like fuck the venture capital vultures and then they took on 200 mil of debt like a year later. And I just thought like the way they kind of position themselves as this anti-establishment, non-commercial, it's just always going to bite you in the ass when you want to make money and become commercial. It's like the, the yeah. classic that, well, paradox, the, punk band. Yeah, there's no, um, you know, we're looking to build a household name. We want Dapper to be available at every street corner, whether it's through an independent um, shop or it's through a supermarket or it's through a restaurant and that's the plan we're a long yeah. way off but that's the plan so how do we do that we don't do that by pissing people off yeah i mean there, there, there is a balance um course, yeah publicity you, you know you, get... yeah we, we're not we're, we're not going to play it safe and and there's a lot that we will do um that won't be safe but but you, you don't want to, it was just an unnecessary, we just realised very quickly it wasn't, it wasn't part of who we are, actually. <laughs> milk is for tits. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Milk isn't for tits. Milk is for babies. So we realised afterwards that, in, you know, in hindsight, whatever you want to call it, it, it actually sense. doesn't make any sense. I think it does. I still think it makes sense. If milk is from it in, tits. In the right way, as it was intended. Obviously, I came up with it. But, <laughs> oh, is that um, right? Non-liable. No, it's... We, yeah. we literally, we've literally got the T-shirt, as in like we've, we've been there, done that. Not just the T-shirt, we got about 50 of them. I was going to say, how many do you have left? <laughs> people, people love it though. People come up, people would come up to us at a festival and say, oh, have you got any of those Milkers for Tits T-shirts left? 
It became like a real um, collector's item, actually. Yeah, it's memorabilia. One day, yeah, contraband. Yeah, that's for the IPO. That gets handed out to the the big guys who back you at the IPO. I think. We yeah. we literally can't give them away, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what? I might have one for my uh, my dungeon workouts. Nice, good idea. That'll do that until until you know I get told it's offensive by anyone in the street when I go and pick up the paper. There is there is definitely a point though, or a bit of a story about this that, that <clears throat> is relevant and helpful, and, and I think it's that you know be willing to take a risk. Be, be ready to be wrong or be ready to yep. sack it off quickly and also you know listen like listen to what's going on around yeah, that's you where and, and take that right? feedback. yeah feedback is feedback so you need that when you when you're building something when some again when something's born there's a lot of feedback there's a lot of to and fro and that's what then helps it become um, successful or helps it survive basically you need yeah. that feedback. Yeah, if you, if, you fire, if you touch a fire and you burn your finger, you're probably not going to do it again. That's feedback, isn't it? Like you're constantly. So it's just it's when you're building a brand or you're thinking about your tone of voice, don't don't think that just just because you've got a different idea, it's going to work or it's cool or it's clever. Try it out, maybe, and see what see what the feedback is. Yeah. And then and chip away. I, I think I think everything that we've touched on has just been about. Well, one, how fast you boys have been at pivoting or being agile at any point um but also the the actual importance of of being able to do that because at every step over the last two years i know you know we've joked about you going before the a and after the a and you've maybe gone to step b but you're back again all of that has resulted in like we say fingers in the scalable pies um, but that the the main i think the main characteristic that i've seen is probably just the the speed at which you can change and act and be decisive across the board on everything. Yeah, I would, I would think agility is the right word. We also have a, you know, the way our business is set up is it's, it's basically 50 50 decision-making between Justin and myself, which, you know, we, we butt heads on, on decisions sometimes, but knowing that we have to make the decision together means that we just approach these discussions in a maybe in a different way uh, than some other businesses would if they were owned by one person. You know, we, we have to for, we have to sort of run the sprint forward, but it, with a spirit of always compromising and listening to the person, and that's worked out really well. I don't know. I don't know what the point is there, but um, it has worked well for us. No, well, the, I mean maybe the point is have a find a find a filter. You know, like if. Because I think we do, we're, maybe filters the wrong word, a, temp, a tempera, you know, or, or a kind of, I don't know what you want to call it, but like if Ollie has an idea about something and he brings it to me, I might then have a bit of an idea about it and then it changes and vice versa. And it happens all the time. It happened yesterday, I think, yesterday morning. Ollie called me about something and I changed my mind within a minute, less on, on that point that, that, you know, whatever it was. So that's really important. And there's, there's, you know, obviously, Ollie's coming to me with an idea because he wants some feedback on it. I then give the feedback, and then Ollie might persuade me otherwise, and then that goes back to Ollie, and then Ollie will will will, um, will crack on from there. But without that, you you maybe you make maybe the decisions aren't as good. I don't know. Um, 
I know that there are decisions that I make or propose to make that are definitely influenced by Ollie. And if they're not influenced from the start, they will be after we've had a discussion on it. Yeah, well, you guys are also I think it's very, very... Con- Sorry, yeah, go on, Ollie. Go on. Oh, I was I'm... just going to say, it's a constant iteration and evolution of, of absolutely every aspect of the business. You know, we're just, we're just growing up as a business day by day. And that's all about changing what you do in little, little tiny steps. And that's how we run it. Yeah, well, it's also very obvious how, I guess there's a level of humility to it, but also just self-awareness of each other's strengths and weaknesses. Not, not to the mm-hmm. point that it's as basic as Ollie is numbers, Justin is product. You guys obviously have crossover on a lot of things, but you are very aware and respectful of what each person is and isn't good at. And I do think, I mean, I had this myself with, with a co-founder in the past. There can be issues when you, you both think one area is yours, but it's the same area, you know, and you, mm-hmm. you butt heads over, over stuff quite a lot. And particularly in the creative process, that could be really detrimental and that could be really tough. But if you've got a good team where you, everyone's aware of who is the head of department for each area and you respect that, but you allow creative input from all parties, then you have, you know, a bit of a recipe for success. Yeah. I think that the marriage of uh, creativity and whatever the opposite is, maybe it's a more logical um, approach or a more numbers based approach. I mean, we've used that example already, so let's stick with it. Creativity and numbers. Yeah. Operations, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm, I can be more numbers focused. I can be a lot, I can be quite hard and square in some decisions and some ideas. And also Ollie can be extremely creative in ideas. So just because my job is to do some more of the creative stuff doesn't mean that Ollie won't have a creative idea solution to a problem that I have. So it's like understanding that it's good to have both sides of, of a, of an argument or two different angles when you're looking at a challenge. Yeah. Bringing them together. It's not one versus the other. It's not like creative or not. It's creative and it's the numbers. Yeah. But a big, a big part of our success, 100%, is the way the, the three of us, it's not just Justin and me, Chris, as well, the way the three of us uh, fit together from a skill set perspective. And, and we fairly early on just created those sort of, you know, you do this and that. This is what I'm responsible for. This is what Chris does. And yeah, we've, we've covered a lot of bases for three people. Obviously, we're just struggling we're spinning a lot of plates individually but we've got quite a nice allocation of labor you know that's very important i know that if i was doing half of the things justin does on a daily basis i would be banging my head against the brick wall i just couldn't do it um and he may feel the same about some Definitely of the things they feel the same way. i do so yeah. that sort of division of labor finding people that you work well with but also have a complementary skill set to you is like the, the key for success i think yeah definitely Definitely. Well, just to round it off then, um, you've mentioned, obviously, touch wood, if we spoke in a few months' time, we'd probably have a big announcement. But what are the the next short-term plans for you guys? What's the focus on at the moment? Or what's the split focus on at the moment? <laughs> uh, I mean, my focus is really on... I, I kind of do the relationship management of current and future relationships. So I'm basically on the phone a lot talking to people about the B2B side, yeah. really. I'm making sure our existing restaurant partners are happy and everything's working well, but I'm also talking to potential new people and, and doing that kind of stuff. Justin is 
very much focused on the product still. Yeah, so on the product front, it's launching a retail product, um, which is a whole nother business really in itself. So, so actually what I'll do for that is, you know, I'll just take the whole thing on pretty much and, and start to map it out from the ground up. Um, and then, you know, I'll talk to Ollie about it. And I'll talk to Chris about it. And then it will start to, it will start to develop. Um, we'd like to get, well, you know, arguably the sooner the better on, the, on a retail product, but also, you know, we'll, there'll be strategy and there'll be thinking about um, how we proceed with it. it. Because again, it's a different business. We yeah. learned a little bit about it last year, but we need to be super humble when we look at that. Humble, but also bold. You know, I hear a lot, about people in the retail space and how they go about um it's very slow the retail space well it's slow but also it's just so some of it just seems really not particularly strategic and a bit of a waste of time so i think yeah the way that we'll approach it will be different to how lots of people approach retail and that will be the kind of bold aspect the humble part of it will be okay it's going to take us twice as long you know it might cost us twice as much it will be a real struggle to get um, a factory that we're happy with, for example. You know, there'll be all these different things, all these hurdles and, and whatnot. And will that uh, be hard, hard scoop, the retail? Hard scoop, retail, yeah. 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 So tubs, so actually, you know, tubs of ice cream, bits of brownie in there, um, other things going on. And then also, a lot, there's, a lot, there's a lot of brand development work to be done, which is, you know, it's about the tone of voice. It's also about the visual identity, um, and then strategy again and, and understanding how we'll proceed as a brand that has a B2B offering, but also a retail offering because the, the sales strategies and the marketing will be very different in each yeah. of those areas. How do we bring them together? You know, we like it because it's a kind of pincer effect. So if you imagine you're in the middle of these two pincers, I mean, you, ideally you wouldn't be, but if you are, you've got one pincer, which is B2B. Which is actually your restaurant. Oh, I can go get a dapper from a restaurant. I've seen, I've seen an advert for dapper in a restaurant. I can get a dapper shake. The other side of it is you walk into a supermarket or you walk into an independent food shop and you see dapper on the shelf. So you're, you're like from both from from yeah. both areas, you, you'll you'll understand what we do and what we do is make ice cream from nuts. Yeah. So that's the yeah, be a big push towards that. But we do we need help on that. We need professional help. We need creative teams to help us with that kind of thing. So. Yeah, that's that's part of growing up in the on the brand sense in the or in the brand sense. Unbelievable, boys! Unbelievable. Um, well, that that covers pretty much everything. So, thank you guys again. Thank, thank you. you. Well, big, big yeah. up Oliver Davis once once more. <laughs> yes, and the grills up the grill up up the grills. We do. We are going to do actually a um a special fan stack card. So, Ollie, maybe maybe I'll get you on there. We have actually had pro some some sort of energy drink gave us a load of freebies so if you guys ever want to you know feed the grills for some good <laughs> social coverage we've got 111 followers now oh wow you made it to the big uh the ton wow. well actually actually 112 the stack cards that took about six hours to do on photoshop and canva have yielded three new followers so i think i was a number I was in the 30s. You're early days, mate. You've been, you're a hardened fan. You've not come with, you know, you're before we won the title. Yeah, that's true. That'll be on my Steve Bittman day. Yeah. Follow a number.
28 on the cruise. Yeah, but you know, we do have some some players with some big following. So if you guys ever feel you want to partner up with a very success, the most successful seven aside team in Vauxhall, then <laughs> give us a shout and we will endorse. Sounds good. We won't wear the t shirts though because we've got yeah. other partners in the mix and you don't want to send mixed messages. Yeah, we get it. Now. Yeah. All right, chaps. Well, thanks very much. And, uh, Pleasure, mate. Nice one. Sweet. All right. Cheers, boys. Thank you. Cheers, mate. And that was Dapper. Next week, I'm talking to Zoe Desmond, founder of Frollo, a single parent community app that over lockdown has found that the success of the business may lie in switching to a dating app as a revenue model. Zoe is a fantastic founder and I always love chatting to her. Interestingly, like myself, she's a non-tech founder and that comes with its own difficulties. We go into not just the business, but life as a single parent and how that can be difficult for both men and women. Be sure to have a listen. And if you've liked this one, please do share with friends, family and colleagues. I'm Tom Westerdean and thanks for listening.